Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 67, in which Joe Shantz and I interview Frater Barabbas. Now, if you heard another episode 67 prior to this one, that fell into the memory hole, which I'll get into a little bit later when we talk to Joe but first, the real Rosicrucian <laughs> Now, obviously we're talking about the real Rosicrucian order, as opposed to the sort of cartoon bad guy Ebenezer Scrooge authoritarian hierarchical and money-grubbing copyright-waving sue-happy manifestation of false Rosicrucians known as Amwork. For more on that, check out episode 28. It's a real shame. Anyway, let's get back to the story of our founder, Father Christian Rosenkreutz. The same song was also sung to him by other nations the which moved him the more because it happened to him contrary to his expectation. Being then ready bountifully to impart all his arts and secrets to the learned, if they would have but undertaken to write the true and infallible axiomata out of all faculties, sciences and arts, and whole nature, as that which he knew would direct them, like a globe, or circle to the only middle point and centrum and, as it is usual among the Arabians, it should only serve to the wise and learned for a rule, that also there might be a society in Europe which might have gold, silver, and precious stones sufficient for to bestow them on kings for their necessary uses and lawful purposes, with which such as be governors might be brought up. For to learn all that which God hath suffered man to know, and hereby to be enabled in all times of need to give their counsel unto those that seek it, like the heathen oracles. Verily, we must confess that the world in those days was already big with those great commotions, laboring to be delivered of them, and did bring forth painful, worthy men, who break with all force through darkness and barbarism, and left us who succeed to follow them, and assuredly, they have been the uppermost point in Tiragono Igneo, whose flame now should be more and more brighter, and shall undoubtedly give to the world the last light. With thanks to Akito Nakatsuka for composing the music to The Adventures of Link, or in this case, Father CRC. Thank you also to Anonymous for posting the Fama Fraternitatis all over Europe in the early 17th century. Thank you also to 
Frater IT for reciting the Fama Fraternitatis for the Esoteric Nerd podcast in the original German. Next. The Secret of the Golden Flower. And picking up right where we left off in episode 65. The work on circulation of the light depends entirely on the backward-flowing movement so that the thoughts, the place of heavenly consciousness, the heavenly heart, are gathered together. The heavenly heart lies between sun and moon, i.e., between the two eyes. The book of the Yellow Castle says, In the square-inch field of the square-foot house, life can be regulated. The square-foot house is the face. The square-inch field in the face, what could that be other than the heavenly heart? In the middle of the square inch dwells the splendor. In the purple hall of the city of Jade dwells the god of utmost emptiness and life. The Confucians call it the center of emptiness. The Buddhists, the terrace of the living. The Taoists, the ancestral land or the yellow castle, or the dark pass, or the space of former heaven. The heavenly heart is like the dwelling place. The light is the master. Therefore, when the light circulates, the energies of the whole body appear before its throne as When a holy king has established the capital and has laid down the fundamental rules of order, all the states approach with tribute. Or as, when the master is quiet and calm, men servants and maids obey his orders of their own accord, and each does his work. Our guest tonight is an author, witch, practitioner of ritual magic, past member of the OTO, Gnostic Bishop, and founder of the Order of the Gnostic Star. He is also a musician, an artist, and a ritual ordeal craftmaster. But first, let's bring in our co-host, Joe Shea. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm actually really excited about this event. I invited you to it. 
It's the Insane Clown Posse with Smash Mouth, hosted by Guy Fieri at Cracker Barrel Old Country Store in Morton, Illinois, sponsored by Elevate Church. Ah, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What is the nature of Elevate Church's philosophy? I don't know, but I love, I love the, the mix. So yeah. it's Cracker Barrel Flavor Town. Nice. <laughs> oh, these churches. <laughs> just these particular but, ones right, but the, not the one ones that, got... that sponsor insane clown posse and guy fieri at cracker barrel insane clown posse now i know i should know these guys this is this is where it'd be really useful if janie were here um do they it's have not, any it's not a real event it's a spoof event but i think it's hysterical. oh oh good okay yeah i'm i'm so i i'm so gullible it just goes right over my head <laughs> good <laughs> So I'm excited about tonight. I really, um, just reading this guy's blogs, I think that, you know, I, I definitely share a lot of the same interests and some of the same philosophies. And it's just, you know, I think that the, the cool thing, I'm probably going to like restate this. So it's stupid to like say it now because I should save it, but I'm just so excited because, you know, people like certain orders just go on and on about lineage and how important that is. And I think that, it does add value, but like this guy, like made his like forged his own way, like having nothing, which I think is really really cool. Nice. It just shows a lot of dedication to the art. Yeah, you know? that's great. That's that's a perfect guest for you know the spirit of what I'm all about with this podcast, helping out the solo practitioners who maybe are a little overwhelmed and you know by the the daunting task of taking all these these books and and internalizing them and making a practice out of it, but you know, we can we can give a nice human face to to people who've done that, and I mean, I I can't really tell people how to do that. All I can really say is, don't go that way. Never go that way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And you, tell you know, some it's fun like, stories, but you know. well, like Scarlett uh, Magdalene, who we had on on the show yeah. a while back, like you know, her doing the um, the Abramlin work. Yeah, yeah. She gets criticized like ridiculously for you know, doing kind of like some, some things on her own. And I think that with any big giant process like that, it's like, you know, even in the alchemical books, like the, the really old ones that are seen as canonical, you know, there, there is a point where that, like they'll get you to the ledge and you see the other side of the ledge, but you got to figure out how to bridge that yourself. And that's all your own. That's all you. And, you know, that's kind of the deal. And I think that, you know, I think so many people are just like looking for the book that'll take them from, you know, one step to the other. And, and like a system like the Golden Dawn does that to a certain extent. But once you kind of hit, you know, even Portal or, you know, and Portal to a lesser extent, because there, there are orders that have a very structured Portal kind of grade. But once you hit sort of adepthood, it's kind of like, okay, like the sky's the limit. Like you can do whatever you want, kind of. Yeah. Now, okay, so at one point when I when I got into Portal, all we got was this version of the rosary that uh I did a couple episodes ago. Um and uh the Thoth invocation. That was basically it. And we were told, go do that. And then later they said, Oh, and the opening by Watchtower. Um and then later there was okay, S S I R P S B R P, of course, the script yeah. to the portal itself. The yep. uh, the Thoth invocation, and of course that includes the, what's it called? The invocation of the bornless, uh, not the, 
There's two. I don't think we got that things. one until like I didn't get that one until it's five. The, it's the one that's it's just that little paragraph uh, at the ending of the night. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's not the yeah. formless ritual, but just the it's called like the invocation of the higher self or something like that. Um, and then or the bornless one, same same diff, same you know. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, do you know of like another? portal curriculum because that's the extent of my knowledge of like how portal is done ever um the you know i don't want to speak to i don't know why i don't want to speak to it but i but there i think that there are maybe without naming the order one yeah where it's more about like structured meditation and like um more about not only reading certain materials but then putting them into practice yeah. all around like mantra and meditation and things like that. So um, there is, there can be a bit more structure, which I kind of think is important in that grade a, a little bit because you can sort of get lost. Yeah. And actually it's, I guess in some ways it's kind of good to get lost because that's going to be your experience. I, I got <laughs> lost and I've been lost ever since. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Actually, I decided, <laughs> just, I decided to just fall. Yeah. I'm just the fallen one. So uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, yeah, they talk about well, as you're climbing, you're going to want to, you know, there's some things that are going to want to fall away, and you just got to let them go, you know, like, oh, gee, there goes reason, oh, oh, there goes my friends, oh, oh, there goes my family, oh, no, oh, there goes my, you know, sense of agreement, reality, and what am I left with? Um a little cult. I'm left with these guys. Okay. You know. Although, you know, it was really cool. Like, <laughs> there were some really cool insights in being in that energy, just in that spirit place, because you really do start to, like, see how mutable your own ego can be. I mean, I remember yeah, I was, like, true. I was really serious about, wow, I could actually go and be a hermit and just do nothing but meditation work all day long. Yeah. And I was really serious about that. Like, I could literally do that. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of cool. Um, so there were, there were like, there were good there things. There were moments. I, were... Yeah, I do paint. Sometimes I paint a, an overly sardonic dystopian picture of those 18 years of my life. But, you know, of course there were, there were enough good times that I stuck around, but. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, and I was looking, I was looking outside like, well, what else is there? And I'm like looking at the truck stop you know, with crickets at night and a tumbleweed rolling by. And then I just like, okay, fuck this. And I go back into the temple, but I don't know. I should, <laughs> I should have dug a little deeper <laughs> and find out what was going on outside. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that show. Kimmy Schmidt. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, it's worth checking out. It's about, uh, it's, it's the redhead from, uh, from the office. First of all, the American one, um, well, anyway, she she uh, gets buried. Well, no, she doesn't get buried. She's in a she's in like a a bunker with a cult leader and like a few other girls dressed like little girls from the Midwest or something in the eighteen hundreds, and uh, they're down there for fifteen years, and then the uh, the government you know tracks them down and, and rescues them. So it's a, the story of her trying to be normal in New York after having been in a bunker in the Midwest for fifteen years. I mean, it's got to be kind of a cool experience if you think about it. I actually had I had a friend, um, uh, one of my old jobs, who was um, who came over from from Russia when it was um, still kind of behind the, the Iron Curtain, like where, where there still was an Iron Curtain, mm -hmm. and um, 
he like uh so his family was jewish and they, they were basically i don't know what the deal was but they were kind of told look we're giving you an opportunity to leave you should go um and so they went and they actually he said that the acclimation process was harder for people who went directly over to uh america but but his was i think he went to france first and then went to america hmm. um but he, still, it was just like he was just totally overwhelmed. It was like an alien world to him. Wow. And that must be a really cool experience in some respects. And yeah. Being able to like have that in your back pocket to sort of use that when, you know, when you're kind of going into alien worlds, like, you know, <laughs> like meditation. Yeah, that's true. Or, yeah, even into some kind of you know, social situation. I mean, I did, I did get, um, a lot of training for, you know, interpersonal, you know, relations and how groups interact and, and what happens when things start splitting off. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of really subtle, you know, ex uh, exp le lessons learned experiences that if I were to sit down and write them all out as though on a resume, that it might sound impressive. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, but I definitely don't know who Smash Mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> but you know who I, Guy I Fieri is. Things. Guy Fieri. Now, was he married to uh, Madonna at one point? Yes, he was. Oh he was my god, I got that. I got something. He was married, was married to Madonna, <laughs> both her clone and her. <laughs> at different times, though. She, it, like, he wasn't really. Weird. It, I got it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> He's the flavor town guy. He's like the the big chef who's got all the big flavors, and he's you. you I I invited you on Facebook to the event. You'll, okay. you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> Did you happen to catch my uh, deleted episode? No, 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 no. I went on this rant about this blog um, post this guy wrote about how great the LBRP is and how he's got the original one that doesn't have the evil Hebrew demons in it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I went on for an hour and nine minutes. I called him an anti-Semitic little shit. I said, fuck you. Very w w from the heart. I, I, at one point, I, I told him to go look at his teeth in the bathroom because he's clearly on meth. And, <laughs> and then I started like defending Dude. the Confederate flag in a mock Southern accent. And so in the end, I decided to take the episode down because it was just spiteful. It really was not a good... Uh... See, I don't know why, but I find those people really hilarious. And I shouldn't... <laughs> like, they're, they're probably mentally ill. Yeah, um, I know. That's why it's like, okay, I don't think it's PC to make fun of ignorant people who are so out of touch with reality, they think that PC is a bad thing. <laughs> I, yeah. Is there yeah. a word for the? Is there a PC word for someone who's so out of touch they think PC is a bad thing? Because I need to know what it is. Because I talk about those people a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've really got no idea. Um, and and uh, they're probably half of them are uh, uh, half the people listening. You know, it, that's the weird thing is people get interested in esoterica straight out of a meth hallucination. You sometimes, you know, yeah, like, like they go from zero to meth right into Golden Dawn. You know, and 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 then I'm well, Proctor. You know. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because, you know, I mean, you just look at, I I think Crowley published it in 777. It was either that or like Sefer Sephiroth or, or something else that he did where he um, did the correspondences with uh, on the Tree of Life with, with various drugs. Mm. So I think that what happened, like, 
I think that like I've never had meth before, but I'm sure you can like pop into the astral really quick if you're really like inclined to you know if you already have some of those inclinations i'm sure it can pop you in yeah some sort of place where you're like wow i'm kind of like now seeing and experiencing something that that i don't know about huh so yeah for sure um you know but it's kind of like like i i i kind of like someone like scarlet magdalene i'll bring her up again because she was posting some things where she's like you know i get i i attract all these nut jobs and it's like well yeah but you go on all these forums and talk about stuff and that's fine like that that's i love the fact that you're as vocal as you are but like i would never do that like <laughs> <laughs> i just i yeah. i don't i just can't you know it's not my thing she's challenging i have to admit in a good way and i i you know i mean it's a really good way no i love that there are people out there with with a voice like that because yeah. She says a lot of the I things. I definitely don't agree with everything she says, but I think that she knows that, and I think that she doesn't agree with what I say. But I think that we still are okay, <laughs> and I'm, and that's cool. That's how things ought to be, right? Like people can have yeah, different points. Yeah. Like I don't I mean, think that the that that it's actually teleportation. I'm a kind of with Blonde Milo Duquette on the side of whether it's all in your head. Uh, but are we still friends? Are we still cool? You know, I mean, that's kind of my position. Oh yeah. Well, things like that. Yeah, I'm, you know, on some of the things that she talks about, I really don't have an opinion. So I'm yeah. just more curious about, I'm interested in, in, in her own. And I don't know, like, I've, I've just well, she's got, like cheering. She's, she's saying magic all the way, go all the way. Like, don't, don't limit yourself. Like she's, she's wanting to break down the, the boundaries. You know, when people say, well, magic isn't actually as real as they used to think it was. Like she's saying, why, why this revisionist thing, you know? Why take the the damage that Regardi did and continue to damage it more? I mean, you know, watering it down enough so that it can be digestible to people who are mostly skeptical and cynical, but a little bit into astrology, as opposed to like people who are ready to like jump off the deep end and do Abramalin work on their own or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, I think that if you, I think it's a it's a good mindset, even if you, at some point, if you think about like wake it from a chaos. Man- perspective and say okay look like i'm t- talking to you now and i don't believe that yeah. but when you're in the space actually believing it it's like true oh yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah when i'm in the well, temple and i'm hierophant yeah. i literally am osiris and this literally is me that i'm looking at in front of me and and but yeah when i'm when i'm sitting when i'm done and i take it off like i can even talk some shit about the formula you know but um Totally, yeah. It's it is it is kind of a mind job going back and forth. Mind job, mind fuck <laughs> job. What am I? I don't know what that is. Guess, That's so sexual. Yeah, I know a mind job. <laughs> you give me a mind job. <laughs> yeah, my mind job's five dollars. <laughs> That's me on the street corner. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> Losing my. <life>. Hey. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's see if uh, Freder Barabbas is available. Um, <laughs> one sec. <laughs> um i'll just jabber on i, I just like just but but i so why did you end up like this guy who was clearly insane like what, oh, well, what up, upset you i oh uh solace the the sore from a couple of episodes ago yeah, yeah yeah she had um forwarded me the link and it was funny because i was i was driving of course and i so i'm 
not really focusing on the words, as I shouldn't while I'm driving. And so I'm like, well, it looks good to me. And so I was about to reply, yeah, it looks good to me because I just like saw the beginning where it says the LBRP gets you in touch with your immortal nature. It's far more than just what people think it is. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I agree with this guy, you know. And so then I got home and uh, and and I looked it up and I read it and I just was like, oh, God, you know, it just – it just got worse and worse the more I read. And uh, and so, yeah, I just decided to do an episode about it. But it was yesterday, like on the, you know, full moon, summer solstice, 110 degrees. And I'm yeah. s- sitting here just getting more and more fuming. And so then I just decided, like, wow, you know, what if people like like the Esoterra Nerd podcast to the point where they play it in front of their kids? <laughs> you know, and then here I am like, I don't recommend that. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it That's either. But whatever, you know, I just started thinking like, gosh, we just talked you know, about mind jobs. That a, sounds so dirty now. What a now bastard I, I am. I just I got I got really, uh, you know, doing these dramatic things, you know, I don't know. You know, I got I finally got to a point. Uh, I don't know if this it relates to what you're saying or if it's totally the sideline. Uh, I'm I'm kind of like going through like sleep deprivation, but you know, I got, I, I, I got to this weird place and I don't know when it happened. I would like to know. Cause I, I think it would be good to write a book about it, but I literally just about so many things these days, I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. And I, I think it's like, I <laughs> don't, you should never quote Pete Burns, but Pete Burns is like, you know what? I'm old enough and ugly enough to live within my truth. And I'm like, you know, that's how I feel like most, it's like, you know what, like what you're saying is bullshit. What you're saying is right on. I'm going to like, listen to that. And yeah. you know, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but I've just gotten to that place where it's like, you know, I know where I want to seek wisdom from and I go there and I, I'm I'm curious about other things, so I kind of listen to, but I I kind of like smell bullshit with respect to myself, like a mile away. I'm just like yeah. I'm not going there. Yeah, just not doing it. And it's weird too because I think like just in that process, I can smell other people's bullshit. Like when people are lying to me, I I just get it more now. I think because I think in some ways I'm more truthful to myself. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That was kind of what. Yeah, that that's kind of like some of the. Some of the, I don't want to misuse the term gypsy, uh, some of the con man kind of tactics, uh, you know, is to like use people's ego weaknesses against them, like to to find someone's flaws and weaknesses and the lies that they tell themselves and then, you know, start to agree with those lies that they tell themselves and then embellish upon them. And then before you know it, you know, you got the person doing your bidding. You know, it's funny though like i can t- i totally keto that shit away it's sort of like if someone mentioned something about like you know hair out of place or something I'm like oh yeah you should have seen me earlier or like i'll be so dull i'll be even more self-deprecating yeah like about it yeah like and that totally banishes them the it. direction and, they're already going right it's yeah. like oh no yeah, i'm totally ugly like what the hell yeah. you know like, <laughs> yeah I know it, it's, it's sometimes it's in the it's on the level of like micro expressions because I work at a, a gym, you know, so you can imagine I get like a few very muscular people kind of sizing me up with my man bun and my tie dye <laughs> and my mustache on my way to teach yoga, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so I, uh, I, you know, I smile back and then I, I, I 
Aikido, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of why I'm like continuing to go further in this direction. It's like, okay, well, this seems to be working for me, you know. I'll just be the wacky I, hippie fun, guy. You know? Yeah, and have fun with it. Like, even be like more hippie than you are, you yeah, know. Totally. Um, oh, I've got to tell you a yo- funny yoga story. So there was this guy, I, I'm sure this guy's in your class, mm-hmm. or if not, he will probably show up at some point. Uh-huh. Um, he, so... I would be at the gym at like where I worked and stuff. And then, um, this is back in San Francisco. So this guy like would, like I would smell before I saw him and it, he would douse himself with patchouli mm. and, and, <laughs> and this dude, like I, God love him because he didn't, he didn't give a fuck. He <laughs> wore this like to work. Now this is like a work gym. So these are all people you work with and stuff. Mm-hmm. This dude like wore this, like spandex wrestling singlet to yoga that, that that went down. It was like a fetishistic wrestling singlet as well. I'm sure, like, like something it Borat would wear. Yeah, well, it went down below his belly button. And I, <laughs> I could, I knew, I, I later, like, you know, found out that he was an Audi. Go figure. But this dude would like, like the yoga class, like the room just wasn't very big. So I'm like holy crap, you're all going to be, like, inhaling his patchouli sweat. This is, like, the hairiest guy, like, ever seen. He was bald, but he was, like, really hairy, and he was, like, um, I think it was, like, he, I think it was, like, 5'2". Um, so, he really stood out. And he would go running in that outfit, too, like, it through, like, around the, the campus. And I'm, like, wow. You know what? Be your, Be authentic. Like, stay true to your art. Just, you know, own, take that position and own it. Cause you know, yeah, it's like, that's all yours. But the patchouli thing was a bit rough. It's like, come on, you know, like not everyone likes that shit. Yeah. Like, but that was, yeah, it was always amusing. <laughs> oh, and then we had, we had this awesome guy. He was like, um, I he would do it. Like it was almost like two or three o'clock. I don't know when he would do it. Um, but he would literally walk across campus. Um, and this guy was big. He was like six foot four, you know, big guy. Um, and he would wear these freaking stiletto heels and they were like, they were like thigh high boots. He'd wear shorts, like regular, um, not like the shorts that most guys wear to these days, but they're not like, it wasn't like hot pants. It was just sort of like, kind of like thigh level shorts, but he wear these like black, um, kind of. It wasn't quite, it was more like knee high boots, um, but the huge stilettos on them. And he would just like walk across campus, so, you know, just nice and slow doing his stroll. And I'm like, you know what? You go. <laughs> you go. Just be your free, you know, let your freak flag fly. I can't say that three times fast. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I want to give him the, the, you know, I'd love to talk to him. I think he was, I think he, you know, he might be a little bit skittish because I think that he, he takes a lot of heat because if, you know, if you're coming, if you're kind of doing your own tradition, I think that you, you really have um, a target, like just like buttoned to your shirt because right. you know, everyone's going to have a comment and it's like, you know what, this works for me, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> And that's why, like, um, the, and I think that he kind of mentioned it too. You know, I, in some respects, I really do like the chaos uh, magic philosophy, which is sort of like you know, do your own thing. Um, I think he was kind of disturbed by like people evoking um, stuff out of like the um, 
oh god i can't like the cthulhu uh, mythos and mm. stuff and it's like, well yeah people do weird things yeah. but you know um the scooby-doo ones are really amusing <laughs> people do like scooby-doo god form beavis and butthead <laughs> Oy vey. yeah yeah i was always sort of a namby-pamby but i mean part of it is because deep down i believe in it so you know i i wouldn't you know, I, 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 once That's what actors do. Actors do God things all the time, you know, yeah. and they do Scooby-Doo or something really scary and, and fearful. I, I saw this production this one woman did, a Porgy and Bess, and this poor woman was like, who was the, the lead actress, she was crying like te- Like, it's a really, it's a it's an emotionally raw show as it is, mm. but she was like crying. Like, she was like real, I could feel like the waves of emotion like coming from her. I'm like, fucking hell like that's rough like that like that's like some serious god form work right there where you're just like they're really in it and it's not pleasant and they have to do it every single day i mean i don't know what you do with that other than get a good good therapist or something wow that's like a spiritual practice no um i'm just talking about actors oh acting oh yeah yeah totally yeah that's a good point there there's there was that whole thing about um Back in the day when the girl from Poltergeist died and people were saying, you know, oh, well, that's what sh- that's what happens when you invoke those kinds of energies. It's kind of, hmm, hmm. I mean, you know, logically, it's post hoke ergo propter hoke fallacy. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Like, you know, if, uh, I think you missed a hoke in there. <laughs> <laughs> like because of NA proceeds of NB, NA is the cause of NB. But there you go. Like all these people that are out there. I mean, you know, I mean, I understand when when Congress people are uh, saying our prayers are with you and taking money from the NRA. There's a particular oh, context totally fight me. in which, yeah, that you can call them out for it. But now it seems like there's people just like willy nilly posting prayers aren't going to put the fire out. Firemen are, you know, and it's like, really? Why do you have to shout about the ineffectiveness of prayer? I mean, is it is that what an atheist is? Is someone who believes in the ineffectiveness of prayer and visualization? You know? Because if that's the case... Uh... <laughs> well, I love how people... Like, the, the, so there, there, I saw this online. I don't know if it's going to happen as a, as a, a real meme or not, but mm-hmm. um, where people are saying they're wanting to use thoughts and prayers as, as a form of shade to just sort of say, okay, well... Oh, did you see her new haircut? Oh, our thoughts and prayers are with her. <laughs> you know, like that. So you're still kind of using it, yeah, but it's like just, just really like trite. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's what all the really dumb religious people want to hear, and so it keeps you in your uh, in your seat, but uh, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Not to say religious people are dumb, just, I mean, you know, the voters, the voters want to make sure you said God and make sure you said prayer. And like people are real quick to point out, he didn't say God, he didn't say prayer. Well, they, they, did you see that movie Contact with? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Where she's honest about being an atheist and so she doesn't get to represent humanity. Nice. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's this interesting notion that i've that um has been kind of going around a little bit and I, I wonder if it kind of relates to something that that we talked about earlier which is like why some of the, the things that you read about with experiences with the old grimoires um are perhaps differently manifested today or that 
the way they they wrote about them it, you know manifests differently now than it did before and right. you know it's that it's you know is the belief in psychological so strong that it's kind of created this like weird Jungian shield mm. from like weird manifestations from from happening more that reminds me of how the the original institution of universities and the professors was to act as a shield on behalf of the catholic church between people and the knowledge that had become available to them in the renaissance it's sort of like that on again the the same pattern but with it with a different uh layer different layer of the onion okay. or something and he is on he's ready yeah for yeah you. okay let me let's uh see if we can bring him in here well, let's get to that interview, shall we? We shall. Greetings, Fred, or welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. No worries. How's it going? It's, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> Yeah, I just I read your blog and I thought I I really think that your um your perspective on things as well as your experiences with uh with magic in general are just really um really fascinating to me and I think that they're you know it's it's a really cool story that I think will help a lot of people that that just don't have access for whatever reason to um to you know having like a local lodge or some sort of order that they feel part of or they've been to, through a couple of groups they're just like no, this just this still isn't working for me. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear if, if maybe like you can kind of encapsulate some of your your background, like starting, you know, like when you first got, um, you know, when you first got interested in magic as as a kid. I'd love to hear sort of the you know the quick synopsis of of, of your path. Well, um, we're, that means that we're going to go back in time to. Um... The early 70s. Nice. I'll, I'll bring in some music, some appropriate music. <laughs> Actually, I was really into the Moody Blues at the time. I'll change it to the Moody Blues now. <laughs> um, when Ed I, looks like Ed looks like he comes from the 70s. So. Yeah, I got the mustache and everything. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, um, by the... You know, I was a, a teenager and pretty much... Well, here's the deal. Um, I had a very strong religious and spiritual uh, um, sensitivity. Um, I could feel things and sense things that, that other people didn't. So when I rejected Christianity, which I did at age you know 13 or 14 thereabouts, um, it was not for me a, the pathway of atheism because I did feel that there was something there. Mm -hmm. I just knew it wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with Christianity whatsoever. Um, yeah. I was also raised a Protestant, um, which means that that Sunday services were extremely dull, um, monotonous, and um, and not very changeable and certainly devoid of all magic. Well, yeah, there's no evocational things going on in, in the Protestant church. Now, the Protestants may disagree with me, but, but yeah, I see what you mean. Well, the, the, the core of a Protestant um, um, service is, is a homiletic type um, um, 
sermon, which is delivered by the pastor, and right. and he can vary that depending upon yeah. whatever issue he wants to. Uh, and there's a lot of different verses to draw from. Well, yeah, and not only that, but Protestants were a little bit more keener on the Old Testament than they were the New. And curiously enough, the church that I was in was uh, built in 1854. Abraham Lincoln had attended services there when his son was uh, um, at a a college uh, that uh, was just outside of Racine at the time. And so, I mean, I spent more time exploring this really old, old building than I did much of anything else. I can remember one time um, crawling into the organ during the service. They had a monstrously huge pipe organ that had been originally uh, fabricated in Germany and then was shipped to Racine, Wisconsin. Hmm. Um, Yeah, but at any rate, you know, I discovered uh, witchcraft and um, when it started becoming really popular, I kind of sensed that I was a witch and had seen some popular stuff in some magazines and all of that. And uh, um, But there really wasn't anything substantive for me to get my uh, uh, hands on um, until Lady Sheba's Book of Shadows was published by Llewellyn and uh, uh, Paul Hewson published, uh, um, I think it was... Um, Oh. oh, what was his famous book? It just went out of my head. Um, at any rate, uh, these are these were books that were practical that allowed gave me some actual retro structures to begin to work with and play with. But you know, and we had an occult bookstore in Milwaukee that I would go up to, and it was called Sanctum Regnum. Hmm. And Sanctum Regnum was really pretty nifty because it was this black storefront and he'd go into the door and it was black on the inside with a red and black shag carpet and in the back of the store there was a uh, a throne that uh, if you pulled a cord it would open up and it would lead you into the uh, basement where we where they had a ritual space and they also had lots of niches for doing card readings and stuff like that How and cool. there were a lot there were a lot of glass cases this guy was such a uh, a class act that he actually had a beautifully uh, um, painted white pine box that all of the tarot cards were put in in order to protect them. You know, they had tarot card decks that you could look at, you know, but the ones he actually sold were in that box. So, and he had, he had daggers and books on the Kabbalah. I'll never forget one time when I was, um, <laughs> you got to understand, I was like, was it 16 years old? You know, my eyes are like saucers, you know, and I'm looking at everything in this place, most of which I could not afford. And um, there was these two hippie dudes who were over by this one bookcase that had all these books on the Kabbalah. And um, they were whispering to each other and looking at this book. And I walked up to him and I said, gee, you guys know anything about witchcraft and magic? And they turned around and sort of looked at me sort of disdainfully as if, you know, a caterpillar had crawled up their nose and, and said, do you know of the Kabbalah? And I said, I, you know, I, I thought about lying and saying, oh, yeah, I know lots of stuff, but I didn't. And instead I said, no, I, I don't know anything about the Kabbalah. <laughs> 
and uh, they, uh, and so they just said, oh, and they turned and ignored me as if I didn't exist. And, nice. I, and I just felt like I'd been kicked in the nuts, you know, and I was like, oh, that hurt, you know. And, and luckily for me, the, uh, the, the woman who um, uh, ran the counter and all of that, um, she, her name was Jeannie and she was really, you know, a real hot looking hippie chick. And, um, she kind of assaged my feelings and said, well, you know, the, don't worry about them, you know? Um, but at any rate, the thing is, is that there weren't any covens or anything else around for me to really, you know, figure out how to do all this stuff. So it was pure experimentation. A lot of it was imagination, um, more imagination than than any kind of occult facts because you know with my very lean pocketbook I could not afford books. Books were expensive in those days. Yep. Um, they were not cheap. Uh, I remember drooling over a uh, um, was it a, it was a double it was the Llewellyn double version. Uh, I think it was Llewellyn. Maybe it was somebody else, but it was it was the double of uh, the two volume Golden Dawn set, and it was in a. Um, gold covered um a slip cover that both volumes fit into and it was like oh maybe i think it was like going for maybe about 115 bucks or something like that which was way beyond my ability to purchase so i would just kind of look at it and go oh gosh i wish i could get that <laughs> but instead you know i i purchased uh, some really cheap pocketbooks that aren't around at all anymore. I wish I would have kept a few of them. They were pretty funny. They were mostly uh, rip-offs from existing occult material that was repackaged uh, into a pocketbook format and sold by people who could get away with plagiarizing stuff off the common, you know, um, uh, common domain. So, I mean, they didn't have to pay for it and pretended it was their own stuff. Hmm. So, uh, but, you know, bits and pieces, I managed to pull everything together. And then finally, I, I was initiated, uh, met some people and was initiated into an Alexandrian coven of witches. Um, mm. It was the, it was the coven from hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard about this one. <laughs> yeah, yes. this is great. Bill <laughs> Schneblin and, and Sharon Schneblin, who, who, who had changed their names uh, to uh, uh, Christopher Sin. I don't know. Does that ring a bell to you? That name? I've heard, I that does ring a bell, but I don't. I can't. I don't know. I, I couldn't say anything about it. I'll uh, I'll clue you in. Um, and then and then Sharon changed her her name to uh, um, Lady Alexandria Pendragon. And uh, anyway, Bill called himself Christopher Sin because that was the uh, the main character in the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh series that Walt Disney put out in the early 60s. And Patrick McGowan played uh, this um, uh, outward vicar, you know, who was, uh, you know, good to the people and all this stuff, named Christopher Sin. But then, you know, um, at night he became his alter ego, which was uh, Captain Clegg, and they ran a smuggling operation to uh, confound the uh, the soldiers of the king and, and his uh, revenuers and all of that. And uh, and of course they would dress up as scarecrows and their horses would be painted with a luminescent paint with skeletons and so it looked like you know scarecrows on a skeleton horse. It was pretty pretty nifty uh, Walt Disney stuff. And uh, so he called himself Christopher Sin. This is the same guy who would had a complete Sherlock Holmes outfit uh, in 
you know, lots of other personas that he played with. And yeah, he was pretty nutty, um, but he was really he was pretty smart. And it, and the covens, the two covens that he had put together, were really good places to learn the occult because there, for the first time, I had somebody sit down to me and explain to me how the Golden Dawn system magic worked. Hmm. Not really very well, um, because unfortunately, Bill had never put the rituals together to get them to function as a whole. And I believe in the 70s that that was kind of an issue with a lot of people who were interested in the Golden Dawn material. And um, in fact, I believe it it wasn't in, wasn't it until the 80s or 90s that, uh, uh, that that kind of material actually became available uh, to the Golden Dawn community. Yeah. Um, how you do, let's say, elemental magic, how you do planetary magic. I believe Aleister Crowley... Uh, had his take on it in one of his uh, books in the Equinox. Yeah, no, you bring up a really good point because I remember, and you know, it was funny you mentioned like being 16 and stuff. I was exactly that, you know, when I was that age, I was going into my little cult book sh- bookstore in this, this crappy small town in Florida. And, you know, I remember seeing like the big giant golden dog book. It wasn't the two volume one. It was the big giant one. Um, it's the the doorstop edition. The doorstop edition. Yeah. And it was like that price. I'm going, Oh my God, like I'll know <laughs> how am I going to get money to ever buy this? And I didn't end up buying it. I think my first um, book was like Llewellyn's blue book. It was a blue book from Llewellyn on witchcraft. So that was like my first occult book. So yeah, it was, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of the people that listen have, have so many similar experiences uh, like that. So it's great to hear. But yeah, the, the Golden Dawn, you know, even re- when I would go in to that store and just sit and read because like the ladies there liked me enough that I could just sit and read for a couple hours and then go home. I had no idea what I was reading. I had no idea how it all worked. So I think that, you know, without kind of having someone saying, oh, yeah, they're, like this really obtuse thing that they're talking about, this is how it actually works. And this is how people move in the temple and all that stuff. It. it it would be really hard, I think, to piece that all together without seeing it and experiencing it. Um, pretty much. I mean, you really, the Golden Dawn system of magic is not intuitively obvious, as I discovered uh, when I tried to pull it all together. The thing is, is that in witchcraft, there's a, a, another layer of complication, and that is in the Alexandrian Gardnerian traditions, as they were practiced back in the 70s, uh, magic was the foremost, uh, uh, let's say, medium in which we functioned and worked. Yes, what we did were we did a lot of ceremonies and had ceremonial structures that we worked with in terms of our um, um, pagan liturgy. But it was really the magic was the focus. And and in the interim of, of that time period and now, that has really changed quite a bit. It isn't just uh, uh, now it's much the emphasis is much more on the liturgy and, and upon, you know, worshiping the God and the goddess. Uh, back in those days, it was magic. And I was keen on magic. And so witchcraft, unfortunately, um, is contrary to ceremonial magic in terms of how it functions. In a witchcraft uh, magic circle, a magic circle is set as a boundary between the sacred and the profane. Everything outside of the circle is is profane or not sacred. Everything in the circle is sacred. 
So everything that happens inside the magic circle, you are exposed to. There isn't any goetic circle or or anything else that, that you work with, and there's no need for the for the lesser uh, um, pentagram invoking ritual or banishing rituals because that's handled when you consecrate and set the magic circle and when you banish it. So this kind of immersion means that whatever you do in that magic circle, you are exposed to, mm-hmm. and the only. The only thing that can protect you, of course, is the god and goddess of your covenstead who will protect you to the point where it's almost sort of a, a nanny type situation. Um, don't touch that. You'll get, you'll get, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's allowed. I mean, you know, in, in, in popular uh, Wicca, um, there's no facility for doing uh, goetic evocation, for instance, because if you did goetic evocation, there would be nothing to protect you from what you uh, have, um, you know, evoke. Either you would, um, you know, either you would serve your will upon it, or it would serve its will upon you. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's kind of um, that was the perplexing thing. So I first started out working with the energy model of magic, and then graduated from that by using the planetary. Um, uh, getting into planetary forms of magic, but I did not use the hexagram for planetary magic. Instead, I used the septagram, which I find I like a lot more. Yeah, I remember reading that, and I, I do want to go back to something that you said because it's, you know, as I broke out of my own Golden Dawn sort of tradition, and you know, Golden Dawn was great for me for a while, but it, I, I needed to do other things. You know, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, but in yeah. and so doing, like I, I, I like the perspective of, and I'm sure a lot of people who are who, who know a lot about witchcraft probably, you know, I, I don't know if that's common knowledge what what you said or not. But you know, in order by having that circle that you talked about and having the uh, the, the sacred inside the circle, it forces you to create a relationship with whatever is whatever you're working with because. You know, when you do the triangle and the circle, you know, there it feels like there's a little bit of danger because there's separation rather than saying, you know what, we're going to work together here. And by the way, thanks. You know, you don't hear in some of the grimoires that, that you read, like no one says please or thank you. And I know that that like people will be laughing right now, yeah. like, ha ha ha, you silly, foolish mortal. You're <laughs> saying please and thank you. But why not? Like you're working, you're asking. So, you know, you're asking something with, with that with a, that, that's a different being to help you out. Like, why not say please and thank you? Well, in the Caribbean systems of magic, and as I was uh, schooled by my really close, uh, recently departed friend, um, uh, Ronald Lou McGee, um, he basically <clears throat> taught me that you have to approach each and every spirit as a unique individual, and you cannot go into that um, summoning with any kind of preconceived notions of what that spirit is because your biases will be picked up and amplified yeah. in your exchange with that spirit. Yeah. And um, the other thing is, is that the way in which a witchcraft magic circle is set up, there is no mechanism in which to uh, 
contact spirits other than those that are friendly and disposed towards the the god and goddess associated with your covenstead. And the god and goddess of your covenstead makes sure that the, the circle space is safe. It's sacred and safe space. So in order for you to work heavy, hardcore magic in it, you've got to modify that structure. And the easiest and the quickest way that you can do that is by uh, joining the watchtowers, the, the four mm-hmm. card directions, joining them together in the center with a, um, a, a counterclockwise or Wittershins uh, circuit or, or circumambulation. And if you do that, then you've completely changed um, the whole equation of the energy in that circle. It has now become a vortex. And and it is analogous or similar to the mythic concept of the crossroads. So now you've got a crossroads type situation, and it's there that you can actually connect to all of the various entities of the spirit world um, in order to, uh, to do whatever kind of magic you need to do. Um, there's one element that's extremely important if you're going to, if you're going to make that passage, and that is that you have to uh, find out who your personal godhead is and to uh, uh, make a powerful connective alignment and relationship with that spirit and assume it. So in other words, it's, it's similar to the Golden Dawn Godhead Assumption, except that it's something that you matriculate over time, and it isn't just assuming Horus or, or Thoth. Or, it's assuming a Godhead that is your personal definition of that deity. And so, in other words, it doesn't become um, the Horus uh, uh, of the Egyptians. It's, it's the... Uh, it's the it's the Horus of Frater Barabbas or, 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 or the set of Frater Barabbas or whatever, whatever deity you associate with, part of your personality imprints it and part of its personality imprints you. And what you end up with is actually your higher self coming through. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. It, 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 the witches do it in a very sort of um, preliminary way. It's called drawing down the sun or the moon or the horn god. Mm. And um, so that that's kind of the basis. You've got it once you've established the ability to assume that godhead in your crossed uh, um, crossroads magic circle structure, then you can, <clears throat> then you can work with the spirits one on one because you are a god. Although not to be confused with Keating's concept of you are a living god. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the difference? Uh, well, it's a difference between everyone is god right. and you alone. Yeah, yeah. Only if you pay fifteen dollars a week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting when it, and it, it is a, an interesting distinction because I, I hear. Um, you know, when I've done various Godform work where I literally effectively become possessed, uh, except for my, my root chakra, but like everything else is that, that particular, um, God coming in. Um, but there's the difference between like, there's still me 
and there's the God, but it's the God coming through versus, you know, what I hear you saying is more like um, that relationship is great, but that's one component of it. And it builds over time as you, you get to know each other more. And as you start to access your, your higher self, if you will, or your genius. Um, and over time that comes through very powerfully. Um, and it becomes a major component of the magic that you work in this kind of, uh, um, environment. And it allows you to, um, not have to go through all the ceremonial um, uh, con constructs and um, barriers and boundaries in order to contact a spirit because you're immersed in the same world as the spirit that you are conjuring. Literally, when I do an evocation, for instance, I'm in the world of that spirit. And you can have a tactile impression with that spirit. Whereas if you know, traditional Solomonic magic tends to force the spirit to come here. Well, it, or you look at it through a showstone or, mm. or, a, or a scribe. Yeah, right. right. Um, you know, to me, that's almost like a, I always kind of thought that was like a being, you know, an occult peeping Tom. You're looking at me. I'm naked. Let me put my robot. I'll deal with you. These impertinent uh, magicians. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm always coming around when I'm involved with something or somebody. Um, yeah, I mean, not only that, but but as this kind as as a conjuring witch, what you end up doing is you start out with the spirits that are around your house, that are inside your house, and your ancestors, and these become things that become a part of. Or, or let's say a constellation of what it is that you do. Because the concept of polytheism is that you work with a constellation of deities in a relationship to a primary deity, if, if that primary deity is your focus. Uh, and normally that's how your um, uh, polytheistic uh, temples uh, are usually constructed. If you were to go to India or if you were to see the ruins of a of a, um, a temple in ancient Egypt, um, you would notice that it isn't one God or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or like three gods or, you know, in three gods and one God because it's really one God. Or um, seven. <laughs> you, would, you, would, yeah, you would find a family. You'd have um, like Shiva and then you'd have, um, you know, Shiva's... Um, uh, son um, and his wife, you know, the Shakti. Uh, Shiva's son, I believe, is, uh, oh, God, not doing Ganesh. too well. Ganesh. Ganesh. Mm -hmm. uh, Ganesh. Is, uh, and, and Ganesh got his uh, elephant head because... Uh, um, he got his first head cut off? He got his first head cut off. By and, Shiva. Uh, <laughs> By Shiva, yeah. and so Shiva gave him an elephant head and uh, seemed to work out real well. But at any rate, um, so, I mean, so there, if you go to an Indian temple, there's a constellation of deities, and the priests, their purpose isn't so much to give you sermons and, and uh, homiletics or, or to coach you. What people who go there to worship pretty much worship as they see fit within certain parameters. Um, 
what that priest is supposed to do is to keep the presence of the deity, a Toho presence of all of those deities alive in that temple, 24 by 7. And so the statues and the shrine are taken care of as if they were real people. Um, they're dressed and given breakfast in the morning and cleaned and, and you know, they have curtains over the shrine so that, you know, at nighttime when they put them to bed, you know, uh, that they have a peaceful rest. And, and, and they, so they have this entire day and the Egyptians had an entire day and, and night of activity that would, that would happen around the clock to keep the presence of the deity in that temple. Um, and so, a witch conjurer ends up doing the same thing with a shrine. Uh, in addition to having a temple, permanent temple space, um, the witch conjurer also has a shrine. And foremost in that shrine is your representation of uh, your uh, personal godhead and higher self. And then the constellation of other entities that are associated with you, other gods, uh, and the, or goddesses that that um, are, are of particular importance to you that you've invoked for various reasons, um, spirits that you've run into, like like there might be a giant tree outside your house that has mm. an entire hive of spirits in it. Right. All of these things become part of a network, a constellation, of which you are the core and the center of, and it's through that that you evoke and contact goetic spirits or whatever you wish in in the three worlds of um, this of the spirit world and of course the three levels of the spirit world are pretty much the same as the three levels of us living on earth and that is what is in the sky what is on the land and what is below the land and that's a very shamanistic perspective of of what the spirit world is like and uh, in my book, um, which will be coming out in February, um, Spirit Conjuring for Witches, which is published by Llewellyn, um, I kind of really go into that in detail in terms of this is the eschatology that you use. And in order to classify the spirits and get an idea, a roadmap, as you were, of what this um, territory is like so that you can um, move around and, and contact and 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 work with the spirits within it. So, Frater, like what, one of the things that I, I was really interested to hear because I, I I love this perspective, and I'm I'm curious, like as you've kind of gone along and you've kind of had to forge some of your own pathways, but but you also have like really taken a study of, you know, okay, now that I have access to to what a lot of the the earlier knowledge was, are there things that you've kind of uniquely kept um, in your tradition? Um, that are different and, and have you kind of gotten any sort of, um, negativity sort of like, well, that's not the way it should be. It should be this way. It's like, well, yeah, but practically my way works. So what do you want? Well, here's, here's the problem. When I started out as I gave you the, the story of my life, (laughs) um, I didn't have a lot of materials and I had a boundless imagination. So I created a system of magic that was mostly fancy with a little bit of occult stuff in it. And as time went on, it matured. But this system that I've been working with since I was a, a wee, you know, uh, lad is still around and it's still functioning. You know, I've built upon it. 
And so instead of, you know, dumping whatever it is that I've worked with for all these years, I have instead um, built up and matriculated the system of magic to have many different dimensions to it and lots of different capabilities. As I said, I work mostly with the uh, energy model starting out, but later on I got into the spirit model and the psychology model and the information model and managed to integrate all of these uh, uh you know, into the system of magic that I'm working. So, I mean, um, that's the problem. When I come across something that is a really good idea, um, if I find that it fits with what I'm doing and working, I will appropriate it. I will cite my sources. This is where I got this idea from, you know, uh, down to the page number if I have to. By the way, you know, I, I think and that was one of the other things I really wanted to touch on because I love that perspective of just saying, oh, hey, you're doing something and that works. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you have your own box of crayons and you see someone else at the, you know, on, you know, at the, the kindergarten table and you're kind of like, oh, cool. Can I borrow that that red? Because I don't have red in my my my, um, you know, my crayon box. And it's like. Yeah, everyone should have all the colors they freaking want to to make their picture. Like, yeah. who cares? It's not like, oh, no, I can only have blue and green. Like, oh, because... no, that's Buddhism. You're a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here's the thing, though. There are limits to what you can appropriate. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and if you want a real uh, lesson on what the, on what those boundaries are, just read. Start uh, doing it. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> look, look, at, look at Michael Berteau's book, uh, the Gnostic Voodooan Workbook. That'll give you an idea of how you can pair things together that just doesn't make any sense at all. Hmm. Well, um, there are yeah, there are things that are that are really contrary. I mean, you, you can't. Ha there are certain archetypes and gods and spirits that just don't like. They're not going to work well together in the same space. Or they will be absolutely meaningless. And um, some of the chaos magicians that I've run across... Sorry. I got this visual, you saying that, where the, the, there are these two entities, they kind of look at each other and sort of shrug. They're like, oh. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I look at it more like a Frankenstein monster. <laughs> You've given him two penises and all of that. And he's kind of, <laughs> you know, and it's sort of, you know... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, you can, you can assemble a bunch of pieces together and hit it with, you know, high voltage from a thunderbolt, I mean, a lightning bolt, yeah. but is it really go going to function? Is it really going to work? And is it really going to work very well? Um, right. It's like those atoms I... that can only exist for a fraction of a second or something like that. Like, maybe well, you can make a hybrid for not for very long. Yeah. One of the things <laughs> I've discovered is when people construct rituals, is they tend to make the rituals more and more elaborate and complex. And after a period of time, they collapse on their own weight. A good example of that is David Griffin's book, um, uh, The Ritual Magic Manual. The 666-page one? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you, it, what he did is he very properly put all the pieces together. But you don't need to do all of those banishments in a single ritual, and it destroys the continuity of what it is that you're trying to do. So here's somebody who put together the pieces, but um, 
who did not synthesize. Exactly. When you start working something, you be, it becomes more efficient. Um, you can always tell a ritual that hasn't really been worked because it has a lot of extraneous pieces to it that make you go, huh, what's this in here for? Okay, why are we doing this again? Um, when you start doing that, when you're, when you're performing a ritual in your mind, then you know that the next time you sit down to uh, rework that ritual, you're going to get rid of that piece of um, <clears throat> work or that ritual uh, construct because it's not relevant it, or it's inefficient or it's a distraction. And over time, what you will do is you'll have something that will be honed down to the efficient minimum that you need in order to do things. And anybody who develops their own system of magic goes through this. Now, the purists who go, you know, um, to the to the grimoires and actually go back to the original Latin or Greek or Hebrew and, uh, you know, who... Uh, um, do everything exactly by the book. And um, and if you don't, then you have to stop what you're doing and fumigate and wait three months and then start all over again. Um, you know, I, I, I can't even begin to understand that kind of approach. And anybody that I know who's a functioning magician <clears throat> does not work magic that way at all i mean well yeah that that's that's like the, the that's just masturbatory like let's get in robes and like wave our wands around and like you know and that's fun like i got it it's fun i like doing it too but if you do it a lot then you're like oh like you get to those places where you're just like oh my god i've spent so much energy and like drawing all these banishing circles and doing all this stuff and like now I've only got like 15 minutes to like do the real stuff that I'm here to do. It's, it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. It, you know, there's a way of melding these things down so that they come down so that they crystallize into a, um, an efficient system in which you work magic, um, in a very direct sort of way. I mean, even I am guilty of this. Some of the ritual structures that I've written, um, are, are, are massive, and, you know, I've written ritual processes that take three days to do. But lucky for me, I have a construct called the vortex uh, as an energy structure. And the vortex is, well, it's a, it's a, it's like a black hole. Um, and I actually kind of, uh, the concept of a black hole vortex I got from Michael Berteau. Okay. So, I mean, just so I'll cite my sources, um, but he had a different way of, of perceiving that. But but it's but it's a it's a spiral energy that goes counterclockwise and down into the center of the circle and then below the floor. So it's this it, it's like a whirlpool. And when you establish that on your four watchtowers with with the with the watchtowers crossed uh, as a crossroads, it creates a stable structure that contains everything inside of it. So that you can work layers of magic within that structure. And then all you have to do is, is use what is known as a sealing spiral. And you can seal that vortex to exactly where it is that you left it at that level of intensity. And the next day or the next week or whenever you come back and you, you know, you consecrate the circle and, and set it. And then you do unsealing spirals to those points in the circle and lo and behold, what you put there is there active at the same level of intensity. And then you can add to it 
more layers. Hmm. Very cool. So I've got a question for you. So we had um, actually know one of the guys who who, uh, who did this ritual, but there's a rather famous um, story. Uh, I think it's word of mouth famous. I don't think it's famous famous, but um, it was the IOT, the uh, Illuminates of uh, Thanatos. I think it's the IOT. They're the Chaos Magic Order, um, which I think an order of Chaos Magicians by nature is kind of a fun, funny idea. But um, in any case, they were together, and they were they were in London, or no, they they were in the UK somewhere, and they did one of their first rituals and, and created like a localized uh, a tornado. Um, and I had heard from another teacher that. Well, that's just an example of, you know, a ritual gone horribly wrong because you shouldn't see this kind of physical manifestation. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, was it um, all in good fun uh, and, and they, they achieved their result or was it just uh, a big mistake? Well, the first and most important premise in chaos magic um, and, psycholo- and, and the psychology model of magic is what I refer to as the as if. As if. As if. So there's some synchronicity there. They did a ritual and then and they perceived and experienced what appeared to be a, um, a tornado. And um, did they cause that tornado to occur? Well, from a magician's standpoint, cause and effect are sort of not particularly relevant questions to ask because what you're really dealing with here is the subjective experience of magic. Right. And and the subjective experience of magic does not, um, well, it goes counter to the intuition of cause and effect. And in many times, in many cases, when you're working magic, you can have experiences uh, with time sliding, with the effect occurring before you actually perform the rite, and all sorts of other really bizarre, strange phenomena that would represent the fact that when you uh, properly work magic, that there is what I call kind of a causality collapse. And a vortex is very much a causality collapse because when you've established one, your sense of time just goes completely awry. You can do a working in that vortex, and it can seem as if, you know, it took you hours to do it, and you get out of it, and only, you know, like 40 minutes have passed. Or just the opposite. It seems like, oh, well, you know, this is, um, um, you know, just normal time for me and all that. You get out, and you find out that hours have gone by. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those really um, strange things. But... The thing you've got to watch out is for what I refer to as magicians' tales of power. And if you get a bunch of old, you know, fogey magicians together, they will tell you all of the really bizarre and crazy stuff that they've experienced. Some of which was under the influence of some substance, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, Some more than others. (laughs) Some more than others. Um, Certainly, they were inspired to perceive reality in a certain way. And this can be objectified within a group of people. Um, One of the amazing things about working magic in a group is that you can have people who all see the same phenomena at the same time. Hmm. Which brings me to one of the arch enemies of all magicians, uh, and that is the, a guy named Lazinski. Lazinski, hmm. uh, I, I think his name was. Yeah, uh, I think you mentioned that, that he wrote a book about chaos magic. 
No, he wrote a book about uh, magical evocation. Okay. In which he basically stated um, that um, that <clears throat> all modern magic is crap. And that if you really, really want to work magic, you will take one of the old grimoires, older the better, and you will take that and you will religiously research and perform it exactly as it states in that grimoire. And then, only then, will you have real physical phenomena. Brimstone, fires, demons, you know. And there's even a big fiery demon on the cover of the book. <laughs> hmm. That's hilarious. His name is Joseph Lezinski. Um, and actually, I've heard that, and it's Ph.D., and actually heard that there's no such person really. It was a pen name, but at any rate, so he taught. He basically pushed this whole methodology, and in many ways, he was instrumental in really pushing people towards using the Grimms or using the grimoires and 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 the grimoire tradition, where you only use the grimoires and all the modern stuff, especially the stuff from the Golden Dawns, a bunch of crap. <laughs> and Chaos Magic is even more a bunch of crap. And that, uh, you know, the old the old masters knew how to work magic, and, and we've lost that art. We're corrupted. And I find that sort of mindset to be intolerably uh, arrogant and incredibly stupid. Hmm. Um Magic Sorry, is... Damien. We, if you still want that interview, <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me. We don't have to talk about the other stuff, but you can defend your whole grimoire thing. Anyway, sorry. Go, go back to what you were saying. But, you know, if you talk to the, to the people who really are working with the Grimms, they're adaptive. Um, they work things out. They invent some things, other things they take from their traditions, because we don't have the complete context of what was practiced in Europe at yeah. that particular time, nor do we want to, because <laughs> the people who practiced the grimoire tradition in the late Middle Ages and the early Renaissance were very pious Christians. We are not pious Christians. We have no concept of the kind of piety that they exhibited. It's it's a lost thing. Hey, did you see the movie The Witch? <laughs> no. Nope. Oh, you, you haven't? Oh, you should Sorry. really go. Oh, that's okay. Go borrow it. Um, besides, you get a chance to, to meet Black Philip. <laughs> um, Black Philip is a goat. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's uh, I, I I saw that on one of your um, your posts. So yeah, yeah. It's because Jake uh, and I are having a a, um, a conversation in which. He's discovered a linkages between goetic um, demons of various different traditions all over the place. And one particular name he's discovered is um, to be found uh, uh, um, quite a bit. And, and, and that reduces down to the, uh, the uh, Hebrew uh, demon name uh, known as Azazel, mm. which would be uh, Ayan uh, Zayn Aleph. Zayn Lamed, five letters. Yes, I took Hebrew for uh, three semesters. <laughs> it helped a little. Um, but anyway, all I know is like the the letters and the correspondences and like the you know, I could do a well, little bit of gematria and that's it. Well, actually, the coolest thing you can do for gematria is is to take um, 
the Hebrew letters and to lay out the trump cards and the tarot, and then and then to look at to look at it as as if it were a reading and to read it, and um, you'll find that you'll re really understand what those uh, uh, different angelic names are much better by doing that than monkeying around with gematria. Yeah. Because in order actually, to make a go ahead. I love fortune cookie gematria where you actually like <laughs> you get your fortune cookie and you like look at the, the like, numbers. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I do like the, the, the Hebrew letters with them. I'm like, Oh, okay. So this one's like the tower card and then this one's death. And I think I'm going to stop reading this fortune cookie. Now <laughs> this one's that's, like nine of swords. That's really brilliant. <laughs> but you see, that's the kind of creativity that, in my opinion, has to be evident if you are actually really working magic or if you're doing any kind of spirituality. If you approach magic, occultism, or spirituality um, in a rote sort of fashion without any curiosity or, or any kind of opening or, or, uh, or desire for, for seeking some kind of insight, you're wasting your time. Um, you know, that's your layman approaches um, religion that way. They go to Sunday because, you know, their neighbor, neighbors see them in church and therefore know that they're good people and yada, yada. And if your house blows down or if your wife dies or something terrible happens to you, then, then you've got a community that can make you feel better about what it is that you're having to deal with. But if you were a true seeker, um, you know, that kind of... Um, religious uh, engagement is, is much too weak and, and much too meaningless for you. You want something much more intense. So anybody who's working magic um, ends up having to put together their own system of magic, unless um, there are a few traditions where you can actually learn goetic evocation um, you know, from the hands of a master. Like, if, for instance, if you were initiated into Palo Mayombe, Paolo Mayombe actually has individuals within it who work with the goetic demons. But, you know... Just real quick for uh, for those sure. of us who don't already know. Paolo Mayombe, what is that? Uh, it's a, it is a Brazilian Caribbean um, magical religious system. Is it commonly known as voodoo? No. Okay, so it's a different one. Yes. Okay, I, I'm not familiar with that. What, is that... It has a similar origin, though I imagine. Are there? Um, it, it, it's from a different part of. Uh, okay, of... okay. I think my buddy Cast was trying to tell me about this the other day, but I, yes. I didn't mean to interrupt. So uh, you were yep. saying that some people within that system work with uh, goetic spirits. Yes, conjure goetic spirits using analogous seals to the spirits that are used in the Grimm tradition, um, mm. and. And basically, uh, according to what I've been chatting up with um, um, Jake, the same thing should be true also with those who are involved in Wicca or, or British traditional witchcraft. They should also have a facility for conjuring spirits and also, if required, to work with uh, goetic demons. Now, I suppose you're asking yourself, why would anyone bother to deal with a goetic demon? You know, what's the point, you know? Um, there's always these horrific tales like, oh, yeah, somebody invoked a demon and, uh, you know, asked for a chunk of money and uh, and their house burned down. And they got the chunk of money, but their house burned down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
you might know who I'm referring to. Um, uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that goetic um, demons, like um, other powerful spirits that are closely associated with the earth, can can be more adaptive to working with you to achieve a material end than angels or uh, celestial spirits um, or various types of entities that are far removed from humanity. But um, so witchcraft should have a natural proclivity towards those kinds of spirits, uh, be they to be considered fairies. And I don't mean, you know, um, the... Um, the sweet, uh, cute fairies. The ones that bite in the David Bowie movie. The one, well, no, <laughs> the ones that were, I hate bitey fairies. Yeah. <laughs> that movie that, Labyrinth where uh, the fairy <laughs> bit her finger and she says, it bit me. And then Hoggle says, of course it bit you. It's a fairy. <laughs> what if, well, a real fairy would have taken the arm off or something. I mean, <laughs> one of the most, one of the powerful, um, Fairies, you know, is is or Earth spirit is is a puka. Hmm. And, uh, there's a really interesting movie uh, uh, all about the puka called Harvey. You know, and Harvey can't be seen, but he's a uh, oh right, the big rabbit. Foot, he's a nine foot rabbit. Yeah. Any rate, um, <laughs> uh, Earth spirits are um, especially when you get under the Earth, and there's a whole batch of fairies that live under the earth because you know they um they have things like leprechauns hoarding gold and gems and stuff like that these are the treasures of the earth hmm. if you want to access the treasures of the earth you don't go to god or the angels um you go to the demons or the leprechauns or the earth spirits who well, you do <laughs> have provenance over these um uh, uh worldly goods Right. And this goes all the way back to, uh, you know, uh, antiquity, as a matter of fact. Although there is no continuous line between antiquity and here as far as any practices or beliefs or anything. I don't care what anybody says. And even witchcraft is a modern image. Oh, like a lineage? Someone says, my great-great-grandmother was the first witch. Yeah. And I've heard that. I've heard people sort of say, particularly from the UK, they're like, Oh well, I've got lineage. Or this one guy did that, that I met in and um in San Francisco was like, oh no, I've got lineage back to to the Druids and um and I got to tell you, his was like the weirdest spiritual practice I've ever like encountered. It was really it was disturbing in a lot of ways, but I won't I won't go into that. <laughs> he probably made it up. Could have. I wouldn't. I'm yeah. sure of it. Um, he made it up. But he told everybody. And that's okay. That, it's okay to. It's okay. I think it's okay to make stuff up. Just like say, you know what? I've made this up. Yeah. It works for me. Let's see how it. Like, let's yeah. do something. That's why I've and, I've transitioned into like authoring sci-fi rather than you know telling people that this is the nature of the universe that you're looking at in the form of my interpretation of the tree of life that someone in the 1500s drew. Yeah, exactly. Do you like sci-fi from the 50s and 60s? Um, well, I like uh, the Bible. Um, that's some old sci-fi. I uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm into the recent stuff. Um, there's Pandora's Star and uh, Judas Unchained. I highly recommend. It's recent, ten years ago, but it's um, very kind of keyed into more recent 
you know, questions. I um, I have two sci-fi podcasts, one called uh, The Coffee House and Interdimensional Odyssey, and the other called New World Empire, uh, that deal with popping in and out of different dimensions and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I will say, well, I will say this, Ed, you know, the, um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Ed. Oh, um, no, Ed's fine. Okay. I, I got over that. I, I used to okay. be like very, I don't know, I was possessed by a former life as a British aristocrat. I apologize for that. I, uh, oh, no worries. Ed is perfectly but, acceptable. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, there are, and there are some people, particularly, I, I find them in, in engineering who cannot visualize anything. But for those people that kind of have trouble, I, I, I love sci-fi yeah. and recommending sci-fi to them because it really helps. It's like, well, how do you imagine this world that doesn't exist in any kind of form for you? CGI. And it, <laughs> yeah, and it really helps. Yep. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Well, um, oh, oh, sorry. What were you saying? My, uh, I like the science fiction from the fifties and sixties. Like, what are some authors of your like H. Beam Piper? Hmm. I don't space, know that one. Space pirates, man. Cool. Okay. I'll, I'll that'll, that's a recommendation I'll definitely take you up on. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can get uh, his entire works. I mean, he, he committed suicide just before he became popular and famous. Wow. Like, like Van Gogh. Uh, but, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, but, you know... he. He, he came up with a whole concept of the uh, what was referred to as the Sword World, which was the Galactic Empire that oh, that, uh-huh. that completely collapsed. And so what you had was you know uh, various worlds at at lower stages of um, evolutionary or technological development, and you had the Shield worlds uh, who were you know had descended to a kind of uh, uh, feudalism, but with space weapons and you know space uh, ships. But, um, you know, really, really well-writ stuff. Those guys could really write. Um, nice. Uh, and, of course, Ray Bradbury is a favorite of mine. His book, Something Wicked This Way Comes, is is lyrical from beginning to end. It just blows me away how this guy was able to write. Hmm. I really um, enjoyed Space Cadets. I like that period before we had started sending Voyager missions up and all that, where they were still imagining there was life on Venus. So oh, yeah. in Space Cadets, you have uh, you know the natural the, uh, the 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 matriarchal society of the aliens that live on Venus. This is all really interesting, and uh, they really explored kind of. Uh, there was a kid who grew up on one of the small outer planets, or what's one of the small. Um, moons of jupiter and so you know he had special dispensation to you know eat steak right before a big training because he had to, you know he's just used to different gravity and stuff like that it was it's a lot of fun actually um prize fighters uh do eat steak before they uh fight did you know that i didn't yeah it's um a steak meal is 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 um, um, usually uh, <clears throat> what a lot of these uh, prize fighters get, in, including those who are just starting out. Uh, it's the red meat, you know. At any rate, makes you aggressive and sort of beasty like. Yeah. Um, but uh, at any rate, that was sort of a little side trip <laughs> there. Um, you know, because I was involved with David, uh, be, not uh, because I was involved with Bill Schnabelin and Coven from Hell and all of that. Oh there yeah, an as- there is an aspect of me that still is a <clears throat> sucker for somebody coming up to me and saying, 
that they have the answer hmm. and and that they are connected to the secret chiefs and and there's this long lineage that you know um, and and I can get fooled by that. You would think that I would be smart enough not to get suckered into that stuff, but unfortunately I do. And, um, you know, my experience with David Griffin is, is very much part and partial to that. Um, most of the people who, who are on Facebook and in other places have never met him physically. And um, so it's really easy to, you know, to despise somebody and to, you know, and to be rude and crass on Facebook and on the internet uh, with people that you've never physically met. Whereas if you met him in the bar, you probably wouldn't say half the shit oh, yeah. people say because you'd end up with a broken jaw or a bloody nose or something. I mean, it'd be a big fist fight. And people tend to be more polite uh, unless they're interested. In person, in yeah. Um, but David Griffin was extremely charming um so much so that he can seduce people uh very very rapidly and readily uh, i think it goes with his personality profile and all that and he does have quite a bit of knowledge um you know i tested him on that and he did for a while have <laughs> bless <Sorry>. you <laughs> oh i thought you were like oh, don't tell me that it's a secret um he did have a connection with um um, the quote-unquote secret chiefs, who really aren't all that secret and who aren't that amazing either. I mean, they're just a bunch of uh, <clears throat> of quasi-magician-type uh, magician masons practicing in Europe um, and who are extremely arrogant and full of themselves uh, and who do not like people who um, are self-made men because right. they weren't. You know, you have to kowtow and you have to you know um go through the ropes as it were as in in good mason sort of uh standing right <laughs> but uh you know so the things that he brought that that he you know brought forward and all that it was real and so people are like hey he's full of baloney yeah not really the problem is is that like any kind of uh, pseudo cult um, he had a dark side, and his dark side was really very dark and really uh, very negative. And um, you know, I I, I always kind of thought of uh, well, we call them Voldemort and Gargamel, but uh, I, I thought of them as being kind of two birds of a feather. But everything you're saying just sounds so damn familiar that it's like, yeah, there was some real shit going on there. But the 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 creepy insidious mind fucking you know like not to mention growling and swearing and being an asshole you know just yeah yeah i mean i don't know they're they're probably different different kinds of but, monsters but yeah although here's the thing and and i uh, you're you're gonna hate me for this oh, but no, like, I, I think uh you know they're i think because of that there's there's kind of like this weird advantage into being in that that kind of cult because there are skills that I developed that I don't think, you know, it's kind of it like, wouldn't have gotten so like, anywhere else. yeah, yeah. So I actually, so I did Iron Man like 2012 and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have possibly done that had it not been for a coach who knew, who knew me really well and could f push me beyond my limits. Yeah. And so it's in a way it's kind of like this S and M kind of thing or BDSM or whatever, right? because it's like you have, 
either one of them. It doesn't matter whether it's Gargamel or Voldemort or, or some random cult leader or whoever. It doesn't matter. Your local, but they can, uh, they can, <laughs> yeah, they can, they can push you to limits that you didn't know that you had. But they like because everyone knows. Like if you've if you've been around long enough, you know, like okay, like you can go further. You can take it even further. And I remember I did this this six hour vigil, and and it was like really really cool, and it involved like constantly like doing steady walking and chanting and basically I was doing a mantra for six hours and I had never done it, but I wouldn't have done it had it not been for kind of that prodding. And it, it helped me realize, Oh yeah, like I can push beyond these limits and I can, um, take it even further. So like you talk about the three day ritual fratter, but I like that, that's inconceivable to someone sort of starting out who hasn't done like maybe, Okay, well, so you, now you're going to do a six-hour thing, and you're going to do like you're you're not going to do that every week, but you're going to do a daily practice, and then maybe once a month, we'll now do like do something like a ten-hour thing or whatever the case is. But you can keep pushing and keep breaking beyond barriers, and uh, that's what the cult leaders kind of give you. Um, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. I think figuring out like how to move beyond your boundaries without a cult leader is, is a really healthy thing to do. Yeah. That's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the thing, the thing, what you just, des- what you are describing though, is something that you can take ownership for and work yourself. And it's, yes. it's called, it's called an ordeal, a magical ordeal. And what it does is it forces and triggers an internal form of um, uh, of, of of psychological transformation, and the the magical order that me and my friends put together back in the uh, um, in the eighties had what it did is it taught you magic, and then and then you would go up to a certain point where you'd be able to assemble things together, and then you would be forced into doing an ordeal, and then you'd learn the next set of magical. Uh, uh, technologies and all of that, and then it would lead to a better ordeal. And so that each initiation um, or, or grade had associated with it an ordeal that you had to perform either by yourself or you could involve other people, but you had to facilitate it for yourself. And what I've discovered is, is if you take that approach, you can self-initiate yourself all the way up to the highest level. Yep, and then realize that that's high, that, at that highest level that you're still here. <laughs> Gone anywhere? You, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. The ruby don't, slippers were with you the whole time, Dorothy. The slippers were with you the whole time. <laughs> well, that, that's the cycle of the hero in, in or heroine in this case, where you discover that where you uh, where you where you ended is where you started. It brings the end and, and the beginning yeah. together into one. Yeah, yeah. Like in the and that's symbolism important... of the uh, star card where it's uh, Eden restored after the fall and the redemption. And instead of a serpent in the tree, it's Thoth as the ibis and all that. If you're really into the tarot, I would uh, I would recommend that you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Oh, yeah. It. That's, that's, oh, yeah. That's a great book. That's basic. But, but, Wiccan There's 22 reading. stages in the cycle of the hero. If you add together the 17 stages mm. the hero goes through, and then the five stages mm. of the cosmogonic cycle. Interesting. In ancient Egypt, the uh, the cycle of um, uh, of, of Ra, the sun god, would 
and he goes into the underworld and into the Anduat, um, is that cosmogonic cycle. And the, and what they tried to do is, is the Pharaoh tried to encapsulate that and capture that in his own um, death process so that he would be able to uh, conquer death and, and rise up with the sun in the morning when the sun rose from the underworld. And so, I mean, that's kind of where that cycle of initiation uh, stems from. It's, it's that transformative process along with the cosmogonic vision of, uh, of the uh, renewal of, of the world by knowing the world in its five stages, you know, the, the creation, um, the uh, golden age, the age of death, and then dissolution. And of course, how those four things cycle around the fifth, which is uh, the core uh, of of the world or the uh, belly of the whale or the, or the entire process of itself, um, which is the cosmos. So, I mean, if you yeah. look at those elements, um, the 17 stages uh, and, and the five stages, uh, the 17 stages of the hero cycle and the five stages, the cosmogonic cycle. What huh. you what you have then are the twenty two trumps of the tarot cards. Very interesting. Real quick before we wrap up, because um, we're kind of running out of time here. Um, okay. I, uh, I uh, one of the interviewees from a few episodes ago, Solis, um, w- wanted me to mention or wanted me to see if um, if if I could get you to talk a little bit about the uh, the really bizarre ritual in the coven from hell. Oh well, yeah, that sounds good. There were so many of them. The one with the <laughs> furious blowjob. The the one with the what? <laughs> Maybe she misread it. Um, the the priest getting, as she said, mad head at one point after he had invoked Satan into himself. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and Sharon pissed into a uh, a bowl, and that was used to asperge the uh, the the temple with. Wow, Ew. present. And, and uh, yeah, sorry, she, I'm a Libra, and that doesn't fly with me. Like, I, we don't like bad smells and things. <laughs> well, yeah, it but you always know, smell bad. You know that urine actually <laughs> is, is, is sterile when it comes out first. I know, but you know, um, like, they should have they should have like, like subtitled it. They should have subtitled the, the day like uh, ritual ritual seven urine for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was supposed to be a Luciferian satanic mass. Nice. And um, uh, when uh, when when Christopher had uh, had uh, Lucifer Satan uh, drawn down on him, he was straddled across this altar naked, and um, uh, uh, Alexandria poured uh, honey on his genitals <laughs> with with bee pollen and began to blow him while we were all in position. These positions of adoration. And, and, All right. What? In the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I can't hold it any longer. <laughs> this really happened. This really happened. I. We're. I mean, I will never forget it. I cannot bleach it out of my mind. Well, it's tough because, like, you know, when you're in that ritual space, you're kind of like, you, 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 you know, like okay, I need to be here, but, like, what the fuck? Like, really? 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 Okay. Like, but, like, I you mean, gotta be there, like, present, so, uh 
You really should do a uh, Google search on Bill Schnabelin. Okay. I mean, this is a guy who's gone out there. What happened is he became a fundamentalist preacher and had his books published by Chick Publications. And one of them oh, was, my gosh. was uh, really? Wicca, Satan's Little White Lie. Um, and, uh, at any rate, uh, he talks, he also talks about how he was a vampire, you know, and, and I was there in those days. I saw what he went through. Um, and you know, he was, I, you, you got at some point your creative, magical occult work can become so out, out of bounds that it's that there's not nothing dis, to distinguish it from being insane. Well, um, but I think that that's why we have like I think that's the experience of being human that we have. We have other humans around to kind of like you know we have this ego, which the 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 purpose I believe is just to interface with with other humans in kind of a normal way. And one of the advantages of that that ego is for other people to say, "Dude, what you're doing is really fucked up." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you got to like bring it down a notch. But well, like, if you're the leader, then no one's gonna yeah. say that. Particularly, you got this weird out. ass organization, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Especially if you're the leader of a cult. But that's why I believe in peer review. And trust me, I get a fair amount of that. I get shot down a lot. Um, the uh, sci-fi author that I was thinking about was um, Dan Simmons. I think his name is uh, Hyperion. That's one of my favorite sci-fi books of all time. Okay. I, th I think that what he wrote, the series of books that he wrote, are were absolute literary masterpieces. And just because they're sci-fi, they never really quite got the accolade that they deserved. Right. But anyway, I, my, that's just the way my mind works. But yeah, that stuff with uh, Bill Schnabel, and that really happened. I wow. really saw that. It was, uh, and that wasn't even the nuttiest thing that I've ever seen. I mean, oh, okay, was, okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, that, we're going there. We are going there. Um, what another nutty, which, I mean, we'll tell you ours. We'll show you ours if you show show us yours. Oh man, I don't know. Um, it's a safe we were, space. No we judgment. Were, we were a coven of witches. We were, and we were practicing Golden Dawn and Thalamic magic. And for some reason, Bill decided that he wanted to to go Catholic. <laughs> and okay, so was this before or after Lucifer? This is before. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, he decided that he wanted to add the Catholic lineage, mainly to appropriate all of its magic, and also because he he had written to and gotten in touch with and then started visiting Michael Berteau in Chicago. We were in Milwaukee and Berteau was in Chicago. And uh, so uh, at, at any rate, we, you know, here I'm part of this hardcore witch coven. And I'm asked because I, I play flute really quite well to accompany uh, this group of people down to a, small tiny town in um i don't know in, in, in middle of illinois uh, where where bill is going to be ordained by what 
by one of his friends uh, as a Catholic priest, an old Catholic priest. And so we go down there and, you know, I had to learn this piece of music to play and, and all of this other stuff and, and Sharon sang, you know, with, with the organ and all that. And, and it was a Catholic ordination ritual in Latin. And so, you know, I a lot of pressure was put on me. And so I began to pick this stuff up. And for several months, I actually functioned by saying mass and was involved uh in, in a uh, small chapel, a, a Franciscan chapel in town, even though I was really a witch practicing magic, but none of the congregation people knew that. And uh, um, and Bill ultimately uh, got his wish and became a bishop. And and he and I got ordained as well, but it was by that time it was completely within a magical context. But here's the these the rather you know dishy women in our covenant all that dressed up as um, nuns. <laughs> and, and, and so we're all we're you know I mean it was just it was bizarre. Then there was another. That's situation. fantastic. Alexandria with. with one of Alexandria's really uh, attractive aspects of, of her physically was her incredibly long hair. She had hair almost down to her butt. And for some reason, when we towards the end before I quit, the magic was getting to be so crazy. Bill really got into this whole vampire trip, you know, and and you know he put together the cult of the Nosferatu, and then he also wrote a mass of Superman. Where you know, based on the Superman movie, I, that I was he, the first one to do that. <laughs> he actually had made the sign of the S in the air instead of the cross, yeah. you know, and all of the this music stuff. And the, yeah, Ex exactly. She <laughs> shaved her head and and carved a cross on her forehead, and I, I was just like. Man, it's getting strange around here, you know. I mean, why am I still here? Um, but I was sucked in. It was like Camelot going to hell. And, and I've written a four-parter um, <laughs> on my blog article. You can go look up Bill Schnevel, and I've got a bunch of stuff on him, and uh, or also known as William Schnevel. And he just uh, was... And, and, you know, on the Internet, you can find him, too, where he claims to be a vampire and he claims to have contacted. He says that UFO um, aliens are really demons and and that uh, Harry Potter, you know, leads you to Satanism. And, Yay. Good. Because I love Harry Potter. And <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, he's 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 this 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 angry Santa Claus with this long white beard and, you know. Um, and, and he's just a, a nasty uh, um, old shit, basically. <laughs> but but he he did one thing. He stepped on one set of. Well, he even went out there and wrote this book on the Masons and talked about how they're really inspired by the devil and all of this stuff. And nice, uh, which pissed off the Masons. You can bet because Bill, I'd gotten built into the Masons through my father, who was a member. <laughs> you know. I was the I was the dumbass who actually got him into the Masons, you know how embarrassing. Um, but um, he wrote this nasty uh, booklet uh, and took on the Mormon Church, 
and it's called uh, Joseph Smith and the Temple of Doom. You can still find hmm. variations of it out on the internet, even though the uh, Mormon uh, church went out of their way to expunge it. He had to go to Europe because Chick Publications were sued heavily by the Mormon church, which has a real lot of money, and they were very unhappy with the whole thing, and it disappeared, except its ghosts of it are still online. But he basically said that the Mormon church, that their central deity was Lucifer, i.e. the devil. Hmm. And they were not pleased. And, and unlike, unlike the other organizations who just sort of, you know, eh, they took him seriously and they took him to task. And then in the Internet, there was all this stuff about him and what he was, had been into. And all these people are like saying, he couldn't have belonged to all those organizations. And I'm saying, actually, he did. He was about, uh, you know, a couple cent. He was about, you know, a, a quarter of an inch thick and about 10 miles wide. He covered everything in the occult that you could have covered in 16 years. Okay, he, so you, we promised that if <laughs> you showed us yours, we'd show you ours. So mine, I'm going to give give you a story. Okay. So this is a Golden Dawn tradition. Yeah. And in the Golden Dawn tradition, as Hierophant, you can actually scepter someone up a couple grades. Yeah. Um, if you like. So... People were high in this particular temple. I think they would deny that they were high, but I think they were high. And someone unnamed donned like the the hierophant regalia and took the hierophant scepter and sceptered the temple cat <laughs> into the grade of fire. <laughs> so this mean ass cat that was already kind of cranky got like thousand times worse that's pretty funny i thought that was the most hysterical thing in the world <laughs> poor kitty oh. no good kitty nice kitty <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, oh man i mean yeah the, the golden dawn really needs an enema the golden dawn needs an enema Because I okay. can tell these stories, but if they get carried around, I, I'd probably get, I would probably get some blowback for it. But uh, um, if I had to join an organization, I think I would test out my local body of the OTO because therein you probably will find some decent magicians. Yeah, they seem nice. I mean, you know, and sane. Yeah, for the most sometimes. Depends it's on the group. Not hundred percent. It's a, there's a lot of different organizations. So just exactly. like the Catholic, Wait, church, all it, the lodges are totally different. They really are that I yeah. found. Yeah. I the, found. One, the one up here in Minneapolis is actually really quite good. And maybe someday you guys should come up here and visit because we have a very special person uh, uh, who comes and gives talks to us every every now and then, and that's Joseph Peterson, hmm. the guy yeah. who, yeah, who's published a, a number of uh, grimoire translations. And has the esotericarchives.com, which has a lot of the original manuscripts in their original language out there. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, we could probably go on and talk for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, we're going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because I got a couple yeah. things I got to take care of. But uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Esoteric Yeah, thanks yesterday. so much. I was really looking forward to this.
Yeah, and we can continue to have further conversations uh, if you wish in the future. And and I hope this satisfies the the uh, the person who uh, wanted to know uh, uh, if what I experienced uh, in that situation was real. I mean, I'd have to if you look over my uh, uh, Bill Schneblin, uh William Schnebelin stuff on my uh, uh, blog, uh, you'll find all of the dirt. It's all. But wait, wait, wait. We we have to do one last plug for your book. So your book is coming out in February. It's from Llewellyn, and it's called Spirit Conjuring for Witches. Awesome, buy it. Sounds good. It'll probably be not terribly or particularly expensive, but uh, um, I, I've done a heck of a job uh, editing it myself, and Llewellyn does a really good job of editing and art and and putting um, diagrams artwork in it i also have a book on the kabbalah if you're interested in that um and that was the uh, magical kabbalah for beginners although it's a book that's written for many different levels and in fact i even talk a bit about the cleefote in it as well not what you'd expect for a book for for beginners but you know I, I wanted to satisfy as many people on many different levels as possible and that's also by Llewellyn. Sounds great good to me all Thanks right. so much for your time. Sure. All right. Have a good uh, good rest of your evening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you, Frater Barabbas, for being our guest on the Esoteric Nerd podcast tonight. Thank you, Joe Shantz, for being my co-host. Thank you to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofukuin Temple on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. And thank you to identical twins Camille and Kennerly for the harp Game of Thrones transitions into and out of the interviews. Thank you, Frater IT, for reciting the Fama in German for the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Thank you to Jean-Michel Jarre, or Jarre, for the uh, album Equinox, which I used in the background this time for the Secret of the Golden Flower segment. Thank you again to Akito Nakatsuka for composing the theme to The Adventures of Link. That was an orchestral rendition of... When he goes into the towns, that music. Most importantly, thank you to you, the esoteric nerd listening to this podcast. Until next time. Shalom.